friends, you're listening to Crickets to Cha-Chings, a show where we talk about all aspects of running a handmade business and marketing that business for success while still keeping a balance to have flexibility for your family. I'm your host, Lauren Keplinger, and I am so excited to get started. Let's jump right in. everybody and welcome back to another episode of Crickets to Cha-Chings. My name is Lauren and I'm excited today to dive into this episode with Katie Hunt of Proof to Product and I'm excited to hear what she has to say about what she's seeing in the product-based business market. So welcome Katie. Thanks Lauren. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Can you give people a little bit of background on what you do and how you got into what you're doing now? so that we can hear a little bit of your story. Yeah, sure. So I work with product-based business owners. I help them get their products on the shelves of retail shops, big and small. I've been doing this for over 11 years at this point, and my clients sell to stores like Target, Container Store, Anthropology, and the bread and butter, the real like core clientele that they have are the independent boutiques located around the world. So a lot of mom and pop, independent stores, Those are the people we really truly cater to, but we've got people selling to everything in between. And in terms of my background, I had a product-based business for eight years. I started in the stationary world in 2008. It was a side hustle that kind of evolved. It's a common story in the stationary world. It evolved from my own wedding. I did personalized stationary for several of my bridesmaids and family members that were contributing to our wedding. And that led to more people asking me to do that for them. And then, you know, being the entrepreneur that I am, (laughs) I said, okay, well, if we're going to do this, let's do this. And I created a whole collection of greeting cards and personalized stationery and a whole wide range of things. And within six months of starting that business, I went to the National Stationery Show, which is now part of New York now, and launched to the wholesale market. So pretty quickly moved into wholesale and was doing direct-to-consumer on Etsy, on my own shop, on my own website, and then also selling wholesale. And I was doing that while I was working full-time at a very intense corporate job, and I had my first baby. And then I looked around the industry and I saw that my skill set and my strengths lied in business and marketing and sales. And my colleagues in the industry, they were amazing, talented artists. And I had a lot I could learn from them. And there was a lot that they could learn from me on the business side. And so in 2011, I started what is now Proof to Product. And we started teaching through basic teleconference calls at the very beginning. And now things have evolved. We've hosted, you know, I think we're at like 19 conferences that we've done. And we've done our online paper camp program for 11 years now. I think we just did our 39th round. So we have a membership. We have lots of different ways people can learn from us, but it's really expanded over the last 11 years. And yeah, so in that process, during that timeline, my family grew, my stationary business grew, and then I ended up letting go of that to focus on proof to product full time. So that's the short version. Great. (laughs) Yeah, lots of years of experience in the middle of that. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So one of the things that we wanted to talk about was kind of the shifts that you've seen in the product-based business market over the past few years. You know, I mean, I think that there's always shifts in markets regardless of the time frame but over the last 2 years of covid and everything that's gone along with that it seems to me that 
it shifted a lot faster. Mm -hmm. Can you talk to us a little bit about what you have seen in markets in general, not like a specific category of markets, but just kind of selling product-based businesses in this... I don't know. Are we post-COVID, a post-COVID world? (laughs) Semi-post-COVID? We're semi-post-COVID. At least here in Los Angeles, we're semi-post-COVID. Yeah, you know, it's been fascinating. I agree with you. I think things have transitioned much more quickly than they would have if we hadn't experienced a pandemic. And I think that some of the things that we've seen are a shift in the product categories, the types of products that people were selling. You know, consumers during the pandemic were looking for things that really connected us, that really tied us, that made their at-home experience more enjoyable. Customers online were shopping a lot more during the pandemic because they were home and they were looking for something to do or something to satisfy that itch. So I think the type of products changed. I think the way that we're marketing and talking about the products we're selling has changed. And I think consumer patterns have changed a bit. So we can dive into each of those if you want, or we can just... Yeah, I would. (laughs) Okay. So in terms of the products, again, I think from a manufacturer's standpoint, there were a lot of supply chain shortages, rising costs of materials. So the manufacturers, the product makers, the creatives were having to take a hard look at the way their business was running. And they had to say, okay, do I have the margins to continue doing this the way I've been doing it? Or do I need to make some tough changes here? And so that played into, okay, Do I continue with the same types of products? Do I adjust this? Several of my clients started offering print-on-demand options, which gives you smaller profit margins, but it removes a lot of the fulfillment and shipping and you know a lot of the logistics you don't have to worry about at that point. It also allowed them to test the market with different product categories that they had not previously sold. And so print-on-demand, we saw that rise across sales platforms. We also saw a lot of people that had to discontinue products in their collection because, again, either the costs were rising too quickly, they couldn't get the materials they needed, or just they didn't personally have the bandwidth anymore to create those handmade goods or to create even the semi-handmade goods. And so the product categories and the products that people were selling really did shift, but it was interesting to see how each of my clients were shifting. It was like any business decision. I always encourage them to start first with what do I need as a human being, as a person that's living in this world? And then what does my business need? And how can we make these things work within the constraints that we have? And then what does our audience need? That's kind of like the third step. And I know a lot of advisors tell people, well, what does your customer need? Get them what they need. And yes, we do need to look at that. We need to bring products to market that are going to you know, aid our customers and bring them back for more. But we're humans first, and then we're humans running a business second. And then we need to, you know, make sure our clients are taken care of, especially in really tiny businesses. If it's just us or, you know, one or two other people, that it's even more important to look at what we need as a human first. So that's kind of where I saw products shifting and morphing a bit. Did you see similar things in your communities? Yes, I did. Well, and I experienced it also myself. I mean, I have four kids. (laughs) So, you know, I really... (laughs) Oh, that's nice. I don't meet that many people with four kids. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think that it is something that, you know, I mean, it felt, I guess, like people did talk about it more as we got more into 
the past two years, like more recent. Well, actually, I would honestly say that I didn't really feel like people talked about it as much until we started coming out the other side of it. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh, I've really been struggling (laughs) to keep up with everything. Like, of course we are, you know, and especially from the small business owner, like one person, or maybe, you know, like I had an employee, but then her husband lost his job and she had to get a full-time job and like shifts in. Oh yeah. The labor force shifts were awful. Yeah. And just like the shifts of what, you know, like I have this kind of rolling along and everything's going okay. And then all of a sudden, like everything's thrown for a loop and it's hard. And then you've got, you know, just also like the normal parts of your life, like my kids have been elementary school aged for years and they were going to school out of the house for years. Yeah. And then all, that's not something that I ever anticipated would change. <laughs> same, so. same. Our kids were, we had one in preschool and then the other three were kindergarten through uh, fourth grade when the pandemic hit and they all came home. We lost our home support. We lost a lot of my business support. And yeah, it was a very challenging time. And what's eye-opening is how many of us, I mean, everyone in the world was affected by this and each of us was affected in different ways. You know, you and I had these kids home and we now needed to figure out a new routine for managing business and home life and making sure everyone was taken care of and we were staying healthy and safe. You know, other friends were caretakers for their elderly parents or, you know, people had their own health issues that they were worried about. I just I feel that we were all thrown such a loop with this. And it was about I think one of the going back to what you said about like people weren't talking about this in the early days of the pandemic. I think it was because we were still sorting it out in our heads. I think it was that we were still processing it ourselves before we could even communicate what we had been through or how we kind of were realigning things, you know, I don't know, at least that's for me. I felt like every day was just taking it as it goes. We were living day to day at that point. Yeah. And I mean, I think that there's a certain amount for, I would venture to say probably with a lot of entrepreneurs, just the personality type that gets into entrepreneurship in general is kind of like, okay, it's a problem. I deal with it and I keep going, you know? And so it's like, there's no point in me talking about how hard it is to run a business with four kids because there's nothing I can do about it. So I just keep on going, you know, keep on pressing forward. (laughs) Well, and that's one of the things I love about entrepreneurship is the grit. And I'm not talking hustle. Like there's times to hustle and there's times to like pull back and relax. I'm not a fan of the hustle culture. But the fortitude and the drive of entrepreneurs is not something you necessarily find in other industries. You know what I mean? Like people that want to work for other... My husband, he's an amazing employee of his company and he loves doing what he does. And he's totally okay going in and you know doing his work and coming home. Whereas I need that stimulation. I need the ideas. I need to have that flexibility to do stuff. So I do think our unique traits of we will figure everything out, we will make it work, we will, you know, continue to push forward in this can be both a huge benefit and also sometimes a detriment too, right? Yeah, for sure. Okay, so what was the next category that you saw that you were talking about when you you said you had three and I can't remember? I know, I can't remember what they are either. I think one of them was marketing and sales, like how we're speaking about our product. yeah, yeah. That Mm -hmm. definitely shifted in the last two years. I think, you know, we always need to be stressing the benefits and features of our products and how people will use them. 
But I also think there was very much a rise in, how do I say, sharing our company values. Like the end consumer now wants to know that they're buying from brands that align with their personal values. So the ethics behind a brand, the mission, the values, the vision, the things that they stand for, and not just in business, but sometimes in politics and, you know, other things that are happening in the world, how are they responding? And that's a tough thing as a small business owner when, again, it's one person or a couple of people, you know, how much to speak out versus how much not to speak out. And it's a very personal decision to make. But I think we did see a shift in consumers purchasing from brands where they felt alignment. I will also say that consumers, we saw a shift in consumers wanting to purchase from smaller independent brands so they could support those in their own community or even people that were like them online but live in a different place. So there was a lot of opportunity that came about during the pandemic for online sales of products. But at the same time, I think each of us kind of took a pause to think about how we want to be talking about our business and how we want to be talking about our individual products and how we're showing up too in these different ways. Yeah. Do you think that you see that shift more so in products that are in larger retailers or do you see it kind of across the board? Because like I'm thinking about my product-based business, like I make monogrammed baby gifts I am never going to talk about politics on the internet ever. <laughs> mm-hmm. So like you will not see a political statement from my monogrammed baby blanket company. And that's ever. fair. <laughs> that's fair. You know, that's totally fair. I think it applies to every business though. I don't think it's just people selling wholesale and people selling to big box. I have seen a lot of my customers or my clients rather, well, a couple things. When you're excited about your product, and it's in alignment with who you are. It is much easier to sell that product and market that product and talk about that product, right? And so I'm not saying people need to make political products, but I'm saying that when we talk about who we are and what we stand for, that is easier to do. It's authentic. It's transparent. It's it's fairly easy. But when you do that, it is going to attract or, you know, detract. I don't know if that's a real word, but it's going to like push people away or bring them in, right? Because people are going to be, and that's okay because our products aren't for everyone. They're not. And so the more we can stand true and like, here's who I am and here's what my company values are. And I'm not even saying the company values have to be tied to politics, but I'm just saying, Here's who I am and here's what our company stands for. That attracts the people that are tied to those same values. And that is going to increase sales. So my clients that, you know, adjusted their marketing, were really focused on relationship-based marketing. We're really focused on speaking their mission, their values, their vision, all of that. They saw a rise in sales. They had an easier time marketing their products. They had a rise in uh, direct-to-consumer sales online. They had a rise in direct-to-consumer sales on third-party platforms. Like, so online, I mean their own shop and then third-party platforms like Etsy. And then they had a rise in their wholesale sales. They had a, like, they increased their followers on social media, which don't always equate to sales, but there was more visibility for what they were selling. So, you know, again, it's a very personal decision and I'm not telling you, you need to be posting about politics at all. But I do think (laughs) as individual makers and creators, our brand values are so closely aligned to our personal values. And so I do think that is something that consumers want to see from product makers. 
Yeah. And I guess that I am making a general assumption there by even saying politics, because I think it could be across the board, a lot of different things. Like I know people who do really well with, you know, religious stationary or something like obviously religion is going to just by the nature of what you're doing, like eliminate some people and add in some people because not everybody believes the same thing. So there's certain aspects that are polarizing. And I'm not saying that you should take your product business and and create conflict or anything like that. But I think the more intentional we can be with our... There are certainly people who are more successful when they do that. That's true. Yeah. But I do (laughs) think there needs to be intentionality behind what we're choosing to create, how we're choosing to talk about it. And, you know, I think that's important. Yeah. Did you see over the past couple of years a shift in the market of the actual products above and beyond just like what people could create handmade, but sort of a shift in the demands? Like, for instance, I saw with a lot of students that there was a shift towards like things that could be done at, well, obviously things that could be done at home, but like DIY type projects. So crafting kits or sewing kits or, mm-hmm. you know, something that's like uh, made, but then you painted or whatever. Did you see anything like that? Yeah, I did. I agree. The kits were a big thing that, you know, we had clients that do embroidery kits and sewing kits and all sorts of things. I would say that was something that really spiked in interest. I think that gift boxes or subscription boxes really spiked. It was interesting. Those spiked for a bit and then people kind of fizzled out because that's like a totally different go-to-market strategy that's tough to maintain. But those spiked. And then I also think that there was a lot of like home decor comfort type products that spiked. And that makes total sense too, because we were all, you know, living in our homes and wanting to make that space a lot more enjoyable. So those were the three kind of things that I saw rising in terms of product categories or types. Yeah. Okay. So to shift a little bit, if you were kind of talking to somebody on a broader level, so let's say, you know, they have an Etsy shop, maybe they have their own Shopify website or whatever set up, but they're thinking next steps? Like, where do I go from here to expand into wherever the next step would be for them? Yeah. Do you have any advice kind of on where they even start to think about what that kind of growth looks like? Yeah, I actually take my students through this thing called the business growth kit. And it's where we take our business temperature. And we look at everything that's happening in our business right now. We look at our products, we look at our marketing, we look at our sales strategies, we look at our team, our operations, our systems, our processes. Like it sounds really intimidating, but it's actually a really refreshing (laughs) process because it hones in on what's working well in your business and what's not working so well in your business. And it gives you some data points along with your gut check to decide what you should lean into further and what you should kind of pull back on. It also kind of prompts you to figure out what is that next step that I'm working towards? Because Lauren, it's going to look different for you than it would for me or somebody else, right? Some people want to sell the big box stores. Some people want to keep it super small and only sell online. Some people want to have a massive team and other people don't want that, you know? So I always tell people to start with that in our community. However, speaking more broadly, I would encourage everyone to start first with their product and look at what your product line is doing and how it, is it cohesive? Is it strong? Do we need to add SKUs? Is it priced right? Is it meeting industry standards? 
what product categories that you sell are performing best and which ones have the highest profit margin. When we look at some of those data points, that will then naturally tell us where to lean in further. And uh, part of growth as a product-based business owner is growing your product line. And that is going to open doors whether you want to sell on other third-party platforms direct to consumer, whether you want to sell wholesale, that product line has to be strong because the rest of it won't matter if the product line's not strong. It doesn't matter how good our marketing is, what kind of sales strategies we're using, if that product line is not strong. And by strong, I mean cohesive price, right? All those things I just mentioned. Then we're kind of not dead in the water. That's dramatic. But you know, we need to focus our time there first. And then once we know that things are priced right and the profit margins are where we want them, then we can start looking at what revenue streams do we want to pursue and how do I want to scale the operations of this in a way that is sustainable and fits the life I want to lead and, you know, enables me to do the things and make the impact that I want to make in this world. So that's where I would start with people. I appreciate that you are really have hit that point home multiple times that it's going to look different for everybody and not everybody has the same goals because I feel like in the online space, a lot of times it's like build a team, hit seven figures, like blah, 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 blah. But not everybody has that desire and that's not, you know, the end goal doesn't always have to be just to get bigger and bigger and bigger. A hundred percent. I've actually done several podcast episodes about staying small and the advantages and why people chose that. And and you will also never see me talk about my or market my programs as you can make, you know, six, seven figures. We don't talk about things that way because that's not everyone's end goal. That's not, I mean, money is important because that's what we pay our personal bills with and that's how we sustain our business. And money's not a bad thing at all. It's a great thing, but it's not the one and only goal that we should all be striving for. Yeah. And I think that probably you know this as well as I do with four kids that you go through a lot of seasons of life and like it might be a season later that you want to grow, but not always right the second or you know, you're allowed to make those decisions that feel good to you. And I, I've also done multiple podcasts about it because it really gets to me that there is all this, you know, I've actually had people tell me multiple times, like, well, if you don't want to keep growing, then that's just a mindset block. And I'm like, who are you to tell me what my goal is? (laughs) Yeah. And success looks different for everyone. And when you can define that for yourself and you know what you're working towards, that is when you can make the roadmap to get there. And to your point, it's okay to change your mind. It's okay to have different seasons in life where you're working towards different things. I'm in a really busy season right now where I've got two kids that are one in middle school, another heading to middle school next year. And, you know, I'm looking to bring on another team member so that I have more space to focus on the family, but yet we can keep things running in the business. You know, will that person be a full-time lifelong member of my team? Probably not. You know, and I say that just because they have their own goals and plans. But my point is we need to be flexible as entrepreneurs. And that's one of the joys of entrepreneurship too. So knowing what you personally want, it's a tough thing to do. I don't mean to sound so flippant, like figure out what success means like to you, but you know, really take some time and figure out what that is that you're working towards. And the rest will, will become a lot easier. I mean, we still have to do the hard work, but it becomes easier when we know where we're trying to reach. Yeah. And I think it becomes more clear as you go to when you I mean, for most people that I have worked with and myself as well, like 
you hit a point that you say like, okay, this is not working. <laughs> so now I know where I need to start changing things. <laughs> totally. Isn't it funny how easy it, like it's easier to say, okay, that's not something I want. It's easy to pinpoint the things you do not want, which is excellent. That's almost as important, if not more important than knowing where you do want to go because it helps you focus in. Yeah. Yeah. It's like closing one door so that you can figure out which other ones need to open. <laughs> totally, well, Katie, totally. thank you so much for being here with me today. If people want to look you up and check you out, where can they find you? Absolutely. So my podcast is called Proof to Product. It's available everywhere. You can listen to podcasts like this one. And then our website is Proof to Product. And I'm everywhere on social media at Proof to Product. Instagram's where I hang out mostly, but we're playing and experimenting on TikTok as well. So that's where you can find me. Great. Thank you again for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks so much for tuning in. I would love to continue this conversation and connect with you over on Instagram. I am at lauren.keplinger and I am in my DMs and interacting with people all the time. So if you have questions about the episode, follow up, thoughts, comments, whatever, shoot me a DM and I would love to connect with you. I will see you back here, same time, same place next week. Bye for now.